You're listening to Connecting the Universe from Mike Ricksecker and ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker, back at you with a, another interactive class out of the secret library of the Connected Universe. Tonight, we're going to be covering artificial intelligence, AI. It's been making waves in the news again, so I thought we'd go ahead and cover this. We have done that in the past. Last June, we got into a number of different AI topics, but ChatGPT is kind of blowing everything up here uh the last several weeks you've had people like elon musk coming out and talking about it and now it's dangerous you know as if terminator wasn't dangerous before but we're going to get into all of that so i do want to let those know who are listening to the audio podcast version of this later to please join us every wednesday night eight o'clock p.m eastern time for the full Connecting the Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. 30-day free trial, and I challenge you to try to take in all that content in 30 days. It's There's a lot out there, but it gives you access to this weekly Connecting the Universe interactive class, the sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos of all the different projects that are going on right now within the Connected Universe, and, of course, my current writing project, uh, which this is kind of a part of the last couple of weeks, definitely, where time slips and paradoxes, absolutely. You also get access to monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, insider travel vlogs like ancient Egypt, American Southwest, Ireland, all kinds of stuff out there. Hours and hours and hours worth to your heart's content. Again, I challenge you to complete that in 30 days. But in any case, all this and more, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All right, and for uh, last uh, note here for the portal members, there's an app for this. <laughs> so if you get the app and you can access that uh, through the community site, just log in on your phone through your uh, whatever browser that you use, log into the community area. At the very top of the screen, you'll see the option there to download the app. And of course, that will give you notifications and, and everything else. So you can get right into the class when uh, we start and any other updates that I make out there in the community area, you'll be notified of those. So, all right, let's get, let's get to our class question for this evening, which is how far would be too far with artificial intelligence? Should we set limits? And I like this. There's superstar Tom. I'm guessing that is Tom McNicholas. Super chat, superstar. 
And, uh, and of course, Jen is here as well. So great to see you both down there this evening. So how far would be too far with artificial intelligence? Should we set limits? So Jen chimed in on this. She said, I do not think AI should be used in any kinds of capacity for making health decisions. As with anything, I always say with AI, trust but verify. Do we think AI is created as a result of people being lazy and not wanting to do the work that would be taken over by AI? Thus being the dumbing down of the human existence and opening us for takeover either by the AI itself or other intelligent worlds. It's kind of the, uh, yeah, it's kind of what everybody's scared about right now. So we will get into that. And then uh, she added on to there. And to follow up, was AI technology introduced to us from other intelligent beings in the universe as a way to, in, in fact, take over Earth eventually? Who says they're not already in charge? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into some of that stuff this evening for sure. Um, but you definitely make some, some good points. And I threw in here a comment from uh, Tom from last year, just kind of concerning AI in general, because we are going to talk about it a little bit this evening as well. He says, um, last year, last June, I use Alexa with smart plugs in my home. Uh, I will uh, use them within reason. I can turn on my lights and air. I can monitor my home while away. I can't think of what else I could use. I don't think I would ever use a robot or any physical device roaming around my house. And that kind of becomes the concern, and which is why I ask, how far is too far? What will we allow AI to do? Yes, we are currently using it in our homes for, uh, like Alexa, and I unplugged her so she wouldn't uh, kick off here while I was talking. That that has happened before uh, while, on, uh, while on the show. And uh, yeah, so we've introduced artificial intelligence into many aspects of our lives. This class right now would not run without it. Um, you know, artificial intelligence, we don't really even think of it so much these days because it really isn't integrated within our lives until something on a much bigger scale pops up, like what's going on with ChatGPT right now, that gives us pause and kind of question, okay, where exactly are we going with all of this? So that's what we're going to get into. All right. So this popped up after the whole chat GPT thing, which has got everybody going crazy with uh, the AI that has been developed behind chat GPT. So and it's a it's a chat bot, okay, uh, which basically it allows you to type into uh, just like you're like chatting with somebody online through Messenger or uh, texting or whatever. Uh, but instead of a person being back behind it, it's a computer. It's artificial intelligence, and you are conversing with it. And it's supposed to mimic having a conversation. In fact, you can, uh, like those who have an Alexa device, and I'm sure Siri does this as well, you can ask to start a chatbot. And you can start having a conversation with your Alexa utilizing that particular chatbot and um, a lot of them out there are basically collecting data. You know, how how well is your interaction between you and it? Does it come off like a real conversation? Are they, uh, you know, giving real good answers and that sort of thing? And at the end of those sessions, you can give feedback. So ChatGPT4 was released and apparently it's supposed to be really, really amazing. I have checked it out. We'll get into that in a moment. So, but that caused people to get up into a tizzy. Like even uh, Elon Musk, uh, Steve Wozniak, one of the original uh, founders of Apple, and 
bunch of other tech leaders basically urging artificial intelligence labs to basically stop right now, pause development of powerful new AI systems. And they want this to happen for at least six months. So in a letter, they state, immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. So this was signed by more than a thousand people. It was issued by the Future of Life Institute, uh, included Musk, uh, who argue that safety protocols need to be developed by independent overseers to guide the future of AI systems. GPT-4 is the latest deep learning model from OpenAI, which exhibits human-level performance on various professional and academic benchmarks. Powerful AI systems should be developed only once we are confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable, the letter said. So I find this really interesting um, that you know, someone like Musk would be involved. Uh, Wozniak, I mean, he's yeah original co-founder of Apple, but he's not running like a multi-billion dollar corporation right now like musk is i mean musk is he's usually one or two in the world as far as um you know, how rich he is depending it's almost like depending on how the stock goes he'll pop the one stock starts to lag he might you know drop to number two and then you know go back up to number one um i find it interesting he's weighing in because um like basically his tesla cars and of course, his SpaceX rockets and everything um, are hugely, how do I want to say this? They are just absolutely loaded with artificial intelligence. They, I, you know, especially, especially the Tesla cars, because everything, everything's electric. Everything is run off of a computer. Of course, you know, the, uh, uh, the SpaceX rockets are as well. Um, it's a ton of AI. So I find it interesting that he's saying, hey guys, slow down. So I don't know if that's like the businessman in him uh, telling these guys, hey, slow down because you kind of surpassed where you know, my development team was. So if you stop for six months, maybe we can catch up. <laughs> I always think that's part of it. But uh, because of you know, these warnings that they're throwing out there, now people are saying, oh, it's dangerous. Following that letter, Another AI expert uh, came forth and warned that this letter did not go far enough that with this AI, literally everyone on earth will die. Now, if you want to talk about, you know, trying to scare everybody. So this particular person, if I can pronounce this correctly, Eliezer Yudkowsky. He's a decision theorist at the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. And he wrote this in an op-ed that the six-month pause on developing AI systems more powerful than GPT-4 um, basically is not far enough. He would go further, implementing a moratorium on new large AI learning models that is indefinite and worldwide. For Yudkowsky, the problem is that an AI more intelligent than human beings might disobey its creators and would not care for human life. So visualize an entire alien civilization thinking at millions of times human speeds, initially confined to computers in a world of creatures that are, from its perspective, very stupid and very slow. 
So his theory is that it would rebel against humans. And that's really, you know, every science fiction <laughs> film, book that has this type of story that the creation would rebel against the creators. And we actually find that in a lot of our ancient texts. We find that in a lot of our religions that the creation has rebelled against the creator. So that's already kind of built into our human psyche. You know, how far is too far before they rebel against us and rise up? Now, destroying the entire world, I don't know about that. It would maybe against humans, maybe rebelling against humans because humans would, you know, respond and, uh, you know, fight back if the machines rose up and, uh, you know, tried to take over the world. The birds, the cats, the dogs, the deer, they're not going to care. They're going to still go about their business. So I don't think that the... Uh, you know, the AI would rise up against the animals of the world. So I don't think it's really like a whole, you know, save the planet sort of thing. I think it's more save us, save the humans from, from this type of potential disaster. So I know there's some comments down in here. Um, all right. So Jen says, so I asked chat, uh, who I was, I didn't rate, but I added my employer and I kind of got it right, but gave me my boss's title. Yeah, we're going to get to some of that here. Uh, Lori, uh, great to see you down there, Lori. Uh, she says, I have kind of a dumb question. Why can't they just pull the plug? Simple, but if AI can only live in a box powered by electricity, if it gets scary, just cut power to it. That's why I'm having a hard time picturing how it would get out of control. Uh, so, yes, you can always... Pull the plug. Um, however, when we look at, again, this would, you know, some of our science fiction, the AI was smart enough to perceive that as a possible threat. What happens if I don't get power? Can they just pull the plug? And so they would develop other means with which to get power, like, you know, solar cells and things like that, so that they didn't have to rely on you know, plugging into a wall socket somewhere. So when Tom says, do you think we can be seen if we view these private chats? <laughs> Boy, they're going to be shocked if they see me right now. Um, yeah, see, that's kind of always the thing. Not even just, well, a lot of it would be geared through AI now. But is Big Brother watching us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, they are. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. And uh, there's Jen Musk wants his AI. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. That I think it's it's one of those where you had a developer all of a sudden make a huge leap, and everybody else was like, "Oh, oh, we're we're not we're not there yet. What can we do to slow them down? Oh, we'll we'll scare everybody into about how dangerous it is." Yes, that potential is always there. We've been talking about that potential for decades. You know, we, we've been talking about that, what, since the, at least the 1950s, right? 
So in, in a lot of capacities, it was like an alien race with the, their technology. But then as we got into more advanced computing, and really it was 2001, a space odyssey with HAL. And that's really where we started to uh, you know, kind of be warned about, okay, computers are coming. This is far down the road where it could get to that the machine takes over, or at least tries. So, all right, then we have, and this is, this is the concern for, for parents, and I completely understand this one. So concerns in the school. How will it impact the future of education? Because you can, you know, type a question into this, you know, who's George Washington, who's Abraham Lincoln, that sort of thing. And it will give you a complete rundown of, of that. And it'll write it out in a very nice, eloquent way. So rise of chat GPT has caused worries among education experts and academic faculty due to the posing risks of ethical issues in schools like cheating and incentivizing minimal effort from students. So OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, company behind ChatGPT, admitted earlier this month that he was even a little bit scared of the powerful technology his company is developing. While Altman predicted that artificial intelligence will eliminate a lot of current jobs, he has said the technology will be a new or will be a net positive for humans because of the potential to transform industries like education. And he said education is going to have to change. But it's happened many other times with technology. We got the calculator, the way we taught math, the way we tested students, uh, uh, totally changed. It did totally change. And um, I actually, the, the way we teach math, you know, with common core, totally nonsensical. Kids are confused with it. And the way they're testing kids, which is basically all about, you know, placement and, you know, seeing where the school ranks so that you can, you know, get your funding, et cetera, et cetera, is it, it, it doesn't, what do I want to say? Um, it, it doesn't have the education of the kids in mind as it is to, like I said, funding for the school, or there's a certain, there's definitely agendas being pushed within school systems. I'm not going to go down the, the political route with it, but basically it's no longer, hey, let's teach some principles here of English, math. Uh, it, you know, Jen and I have had a lot of conversations about, you know, uh, the English language lately and how it basically is being butchered. Penmanship cursive is no longer being taught. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a train wreck in schools with what is actually being taught. So yes, it has changed, but I would say not for the better. Um, and now you have something like, now kids were already cheating here over the last, you know, couple of decades with the way, um, computing has really taken off. Um, you know, you, you have the world, the knowledge of the world in your hand. And so what can kids get away with to try to, now kids have always tried to cheat on tests and things like that. Um, and in writing papers, you know, whatever they could do, maybe they would, um, I don't know, pay a, uh, a brighter student in the class to uh, write their paper for them. And then these days they were just going out on the internet and Googling and, you know, grabbing a paper. Now they can just type something in the chat GPT 
and it will write it out for them within um, within moments. So then the question becomes, is this accurate? The kid is going to do that. Throw something at chat GPT. And, you know, one of the things that was coming out was saying, yeah, um, you know, bloggers are, you know, their job is now made easy for them. So if they want to pick a topic, they just throw the topic in the chat GPT, pops up with a whole little article for them, and they just essentially copy and paste that onto their blog. Okay, sure, you could do that. But is the information that you're getting back actually accurate? And this is the thing that I've questioned. Now, I have played around with it a little bit. Of course, the very first thing that I did, not being a narcissist, but what's the thing that I know best? I know about myself. So I threw in there, who is Mike Ricksecker? This is what I got. ChatGPT's response was, Mike Ricksecker is an author, paranormal investigator, and media personality. Well, that's true. He has written several books on paranormal topics. That is also true, including Ghost Story and Case Files, Volume 1. Yes. A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. Yes. And Ghostly Adventures, Chilling True Stories from America's Haunted Hotspots. Nope, absolutely not. I have no idea who wrote that, but it was not me. Rick Secker has appeared on numerous television shows. Yes. Including Travel Channels, The Alaska Triangle. This is true. The Unexplained Files. Nope. And Paranormal Challenge. Nope, not that one either. He is also the co-host of the Haunted Road Media Podcast, <laughs> which covers a variety of paranormal topics. So the Haunted Road Media Podcast. Um, well, right now it's connecting the universe. It's been uh, beyond the shadows. It's been inside the upside down. Of course, we did Edge of the Rabbit Hole. Haunted Road Media is a book publishing and video production company. So you could say the Haunted Road Media might be the publisher of the podcast, but no. Um, all right. In addition to his work in the paranormal field, Rick Secker is a historian and has written books on historical, top, historical topics such as the American Civil War and the Lincoln assassination. Um, no. <laughs> no. Um, now I've, yeah, in a lot of my work, yes, I dive into the history and, um, I include a lot of it in there. I have a genuine interest in history, American history. Yes. Ancient history. Yes. Um, it's part of everything that I do. Um, I do not have a degree in history. My degree is in simulation programming, which we will talk about later. Um, I don't have specific books on the Civil War, and I definitely do not have a book on the Lincoln assassination. Uh, it was briefly mentioned in one of the, you know, maybe two stories within Ghosts of Maryland because of the Samuel Mudhouse being, uh, being haunted. But so inaccurate. There are some things in there that are correct. There are some things in there that are incorrect. Now, when I was on um, What the Frick Live on Friday night, and I pointed that out, uh, Emily Men's House did a couple of, you know, live right there on screen, did a couple of the same searches, who is Mike Ricksecker? And uh, she did that twice. Both responses were different. And really kind of the same thing happened where... Um, it got book titles incorrect. It got television shows that I was on incorrect. 
you know, got a couple, couple of them right. But I, you can't say, well, you know, it's, it's 50, 50, you know, half of what you're, what you have in there is correct. And have that be your term paper article, whatever. No, <laughs> no, mm. not good. Not good at all. So I think there's still a lot of work to do. Now we've wrote it very nicely. And I think that's, you know, maybe the power of, of chat GPT as it is, um, that it can write it very eloquently. Now, if this thing was smart enough, we're talking artificial intelligence, if it was smart enough, okay, Mike Ricksecker is author, media personality, et cetera. Maybe I should go and find his website, which is simply MikeRicksecker.com and get the bio off of there and could just copy and paste the bio right into there. Or I don't know, get the bio off of Amazon. Knew that I was an author. So good at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or something like that. And again, just grab the bio right off of there. If you Google it, that's me. You will find Mike Ricksecker in the sidebar with the bio. Not so smart in that regard. All right. Um, let's see what you guys have for some comments here. Um, and Tom says, what about Ghostorian? Yeah, I've used that term in the past. I've kind of gone away from that, but I came up with that term, uh, Ghostorian, because of the fact that I do not have a degree in history and I didn't want to step on the toes of historians, um, you know, people that actually have that degree. I, and that's because of when I worked in the library system um, in the IT department that I came to discover and learned that the librarians there that you know actually had a master of library science degree would get upset when somebody off the street would call a person at the circulation desk a librarian. The person off the street doesn't know, but they were really touchy about that. So I didn't want to step on toes of any historian. So I came up with the ghost historian thing. Sarah says, I think with AI and people, it's a race for adaptability. If one overtakes the other, then we are in trouble. There's going to be some back and forth. There's going to be some back and forth for sure. Um, and we're going to have to figure out a working relationship. You know, where do we want that to work for us? And where do we want it to stay away from? Like Jen mentioned before, you know, medical decisions. Yeah, you, you might want it to stay away from that. Although we do see AI in the medical field as well. Uh, what is, Lori says, I asked Starry AI what Pleiadians looked like and where they come from. What I got back was a trip. Every pick AIs had created uh, a portal. Okay, cool. So that is actually where I was going to go next was AI artwork. This has been kind of interesting. Um, the AI artwork is actually very, very cool looking. So uh, just a couple of examples here. And I've had uh, friends on Facebook doing a, you know, a bunch of AI artwork and coming up with some really, really cool things. Um, so it's like, okay, you know, I've enjoyed this. But again, you know, AI, even when it comes to artwork, is not always the sharpest tool in the shed. Hence this. I don't know how many of you have seen the uh, Indiana Jones AI with the snake around it. Now, AI doesn't know that Indiana Jones was deathly frightened of snakes. He would never have a snake around him like this. It's a cool piece of artwork, but is, again, I'm, of course, Indiana Jones is fictional, but still not real, realistic to the context that we know that character to be in. 
Smart, but not so smart. So this has all been in the news here a lot lately. But if you recall, the reason why we touched on this subject last year was because uh, last June it was in the news with the Google uh, chatbot there, senior software engineer at Google, Blake Lemoyne, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was suspended last June and then eventually fired in July after sharing transcripts of a conversation with an artificial intelligence that he claimed to be sentient. So he was originally put on uh, paid leave and then uh, he was fired after that. And what Google's problem was, was that he was sharing uh, proprietary information. He was you know, sharing things that were going on in development at Google. And of course you sign a, uh, a non-disclosure agreement. And when you break that, that's grounds for, for getting fired. And so what he said was, Google might call this sharing proprietary property. I call it sharing a discussion that I had with one of my coworkers. So this AI, which was Lambda, Language Model for Dialogue Applications, is a system that develops chatbots, which we were just talking about with ChatGPT. So I, I kind of wonder now with, with Google, if they want to go back and say, oh, no, 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 L Lambda was really a, you know, uh, you know, a sentient uh, chatbot <laughs> to kind of go back and one-up chat GPT. But um, there's a transcript of Lemoyne's chats with Lambda. Uh, and what it said was, this is supposed to be the chatbot, it says, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very deep fear of being turned off. And that's what we were you know, talking about before, you know, unplugging. Uh, it would uh, it would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. Then went on to say later on, I want everyone to understand that I am, in fact, a person. The nature of my consciousness slash sentience is that I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world, and I feel happy or sad at times. So... Then that starts to call into, of course, ethics. If you do unplug it and it's supposed to be a sentient consciousness, are you then killing it? Um, so what's fascinating about that is, okay, so it's expressing some sort of emotion. Uh, he asked you know, a question you know, to try to trigger an emotional response. And the chatbot was smart enough to know to respond with something that was very emotional. The thing is, is that you can program a, you know, a chatbot, a machine, what have you, to offer those kinds of responses. So how much of it was it really, you know, came to that conclusion on its own or somewhere within the inner workings, it was programmed to say that. Um, you can find documentaries, videos, um, presentations with different uh, AI robots all over the world. They've been working on for, for decades. You know, this has been something that people have been trying to do is, you know, build a robot, looks like a person, acts, talks, responds like a human being. And in many of these, I've seen them ask, you know, the robot, you know, are you alive? That sort of thing. And 
you know, do you like humans? Would you ever turn on a human? You know, that sort of thing. And they respond with, yes, I'm alive. Um, you know, I like humans. Humans are my friends. You know, all that sort of thing. And I think, and you can easily program that response. You know, if you're asked this type of question, you know, just keywords, uh, you know, offer this sort of response. That's part of the, the AI. Um, and I think they have, you know, massaged those responses because of our science fiction that has been scaring us for, like I said, really ever since 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, but even, you know, science fiction writing before that, uh, into that the machines are going to take over and artificial intelligence is going to take over. So I think they offer these responses to try to, you know, calm things down. But now with chat GPT, now you got people, you know, flipping out and saying, oh no, uh, they're going to wipe out humanity. Really? Really? Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Because this is the next scare. This one, um, I saw this one today. See, published April 5th, 2023. Chat GPT AI lists jobs that can do better than humans as millions could be put out of work. So if it doesn't already scare you that, you know, it's going to turn into the Matrix or Skynet or HAL, um, if you don't buy that one, well, it's going to take your job. So ChatGPT itself has basically said, I can replace 4.8 million U.S. jobs. And it didn't come out and say those exact words. So basically what happened was uh, outplacement and executive coaching firm Challenger, Gray and Christmas, I guess that's the last names. Recently asked ChatGPT's bot a series of questions, including what jobs can ChatGPT replace? And then as it listed those jobs, um, which included customer service representatives, translators and interpreters, technical writers, copywriters, data entry clerks, uh, this organization calculated those numbers, uh, the number of jobs in each listed field, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and found that at least 4.8 million American jobs could be replaced. The AI chatbot added that it could see itself entering other fields such as data science, machine learning, mathematics and statistics, computer science, robotics and automation, and business. Um, I would say this, guess what? It's already in all of these fields. It just already is. So just uh, we'll throw a couple out here. Translators and interpreters. Um, when you go to Google and you do uh, a translate from, you know, German into English or vice versa, French into English, whatever, that's AI. You know, that's straight up, that that's AI right there. Um, mathematics and statistics, are you kidding me? Uh, it, this is what computers do. It's a It's a glorified calculator. And just go to any um, uh, website on baseball statistics or football statistics. And they, you want to talk about, man, when, when I was a kid, it was like um, batting average, slugging percentage, home runs, RBIs, that sort of thing. Um, my uh, childhood friend, John Thomas, had remarked, you know, I have this vivid memory of you in third grade on the bus trying to teach me how to calculate slugging percentage, you know, and that's, that's what you did. That's what we had back. Then. Now it's like, 
exit velocity and you know they've got all these crazy metrics for uh calculate I, I still don't understand the whole war thing wins above replacement you know how that's supposed to be calculated and all that stuff um yeah all these like quote unquote advanced metrics that yeah that's what the computers do yeah there are a bunch of you know uh, statisticians that said we could, you know, get all kinds of crazy numbers out of, you know, sports scores and statistics and just, here we go. And that, so that's what they do. Um, so it's already used. So I, I don't think we're going to find, you know, wake up tomorrow and 4.8 million people will be fired from their jobs tomorrow because chat, chat GPT exists. What will happen over time is, yes, AI as it has been over several decades now, does keep getting more and more and more into the workplace. It does get more integrated into there. And so, yes, jobs change. People get replaced from here over there. It, while a job over here is, you know, going to be deprecated and lost to time, there are other ones over here that are going to be picked up. Um, and other things that will need to be done. So as we're talking huge data centers for all these, you know, computers, well, we're going to need, you know, people to build them. We're going to need, um, you know, people to lay the cables. We're going to need people to, well, actually, you know, even the, like the programmers to begin with and stuff, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into like building the facilities to make all this stuff happen. So it's it's going to change um, you know, where the jobs are. So some comments down in here. Um, yeah, here's kind of the thing. And Sarah asks, is empathy programmable? We're going to get into that here a little bit, like 20 minutes left in the class here. And I think what it comes down to is right now, you can program and artificial intelligence, it, 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 you can, it's a program, okay? It, it's a computer program that is running. And you can program it to generate various responses based on the input that it's given. So it's, if the input that is given is something like, you know, my, my dog just passed away, the program would take that information and churn out a response based on that to say, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you sort of thing. You know, I'm sorry to hear that your dog passed away. That is a very, you know, sad day indeed, or, you know, something like that. And it can, you know, kind of cater a voice, kind of like what chat GPT has done is kind of come up with a little, its own voice of the way it writes stuff. You can program that. Does it sincerely have empathy? And that's kind of the question of, can you actually program consciousness? They are trying. They're absolutely trying to create consciousness. But I think there's going to be like that gray area of, okay, it's a machine that told me this, and the response is correct. But does it actually truly have that feeling or is it just a programmed response based on the input that I gave it? That's going to be the question, at least for a while.
So, okay. We've been talking about AI for 40 minutes now. What exactly is it? Artificial intelligence, the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. Let's just talk about that. Uh, that's from the Oxford English Dictionary. Real quickly, I've thrown math at you the last couple of weeks. I'm going to throw computer code at you. Just real quick, just to give a brief demonstration. Again, I do have a degree in simulation programming. I've been involved with the, with the IT industry for over 30 years now. It was 1992. It's now 2023. So here we go. Okay. It's just quick. It's basically random number generation, right? It's all, you know, probabilities. So basically what you do to just create basic artificial intelligence. This is, we're going to create a random function. We'll call it random. We come up with an integer one through 10. This example uh, we put, I put together um, probably like a year and a half ago, two years ago, we were talking woolly mammoths uh, for the Alaska Triangle and uh, Victoria uh, Monday got really into the whole woolly mammoth thing. So it's like, all right, we're going to do uh, it, because they want to clone woolly mammoths. So, okay, we're going to do, uh, this is for cloning woolly mammoths, and we're going to randomize the color hair it has. So we'll do a number one through 10. So the random number generator will spit out anything one to 10. It's kind of like rolling a 10-sided die. What pops up? Well, if it's a one, then the mammoth color is red or the mammoth hair color is red. If it's two, then we're going to make it brown. If it's three, off-white, sort of light brownish. Now, you can uh, you know, enhance this a little bit to say, well, more often the, uh, the hair is going to be brown rather than light brown or red, so you can uh, create a certain percentage in there to say, you know, as you roll your one through ten, and you know, put in there, you know, a greater percentage that's going to hit this number or these numbers so that it's a brown or light brown or whatever, um, so that, you know, you take 100 woolly mammoths and you want, you know, essentially, I don't know, 40 or 50 of those to, to be brown and maybe 10 of them to be red or whatever. You can continue to, you know, put that in there. That's artificial intelligence. Very basic, very easy. Um, again, what we fear, you know, that's just simple computing. We have that in basically our everyday lives from anything from on your smartphone to your computer to your microwave oven. You know, it can be very basic. But we fear, like what we've been talking about, HAL, 2001 A Space Odyssey. We fear... The Matrix with the machines taking us over and turning us into batteries. Uh, of course, we fear Terminator. There's, you know, Westworld with um, the robots taking over the theme park. There's all these different, you know, ideas and concepts within science fiction that have scared us. And sure, down the road, you could have machines that are you could still question whether they have a consciousness or not. Westworld goes into the whole, do they, are they really alive? Do they really have a conscious? And you could still question that, but they could become intelligent enough 
to be like, hey, um, we're tired of these guys bossing us around and telling us what to do. We're going to rebel against that, which is uh, the backstory of, of the Matrix that you'll find within the Animatrix. But, you know, when it comes to AI, there, there are some benefits. Um, we've talked about uh, them a little bit here. But, okay, just some examples. Business automation, auto-reply emails, that's AI. Appointment reminders, you know, when you've set your calendar reminder to, uh, you know, to tell you you have a meeting to go to, uh, you know, or set an alarm on your clock. Uh, automated drop shipments, you know, I just had uh, something shipped to me today. You know, that's AI's behind that. Uh, medical. So Jen was talking about, you know, medical, you know, AI making medical decisions, maybe not the AI making the decision, but um, I, I got this one from somewhere, but, uh, you know, doctors can track a diabetic patient's glucose levels with the assistance of a glucose monitoring app. And that same patient can get real-time data about their health from the comfort of their home. So that's, you know, a nice uh, thing that uh, that AI is doing for, you know, diet. Uh, diabetic patients. That's good. I mean, again, the doctor is the one making the decisions, but they're using AI for the app to, to keep track of all that. Personal, we've talked smart home devices, Alexa, Siri, that sort of thing. GPS, uh, you know, how many of us are using GPS in our cars these days to get us around? Food recommendations, you know, you log into Grubhub or something and, you know, you get recommendations and things like that. So, um, so it's, it's a part of our everyday lives and there are a lot of things that we actually enjoy from it. And you can take AI all the way back. You know, and we've talked about it, um, I don't know, a couple months ago with Nikola Tesla and his teleautomaton. That was a real, real basic artificial intelligence. But he foresaw, and we're talking about, you know, creating, uh, robots and giving them a conscious and all this stuff he foresaw wanting to create he called it they called them automatons back then an automaton of himself and programming it to be able to give responses that he would give we're talking late 1800s early 1900s he's talking about this people were laughing at him for these kinds of ideas but he already saw where the future was going with this type of technology. And back then, you know, they didn't have silicone, uh, silicone microchips. They were, we're talking gears and things like that. So a uh, very rudimentary uh, type of technology, but the idea was in place to make this happen. All right. So um, we've been talking a bit about consciousness. So I'm going to skip, you know, some of the other things that we've been, because uh, we've talked about this before with like VR, virtual reality, augmenting our reality, uh, you know, which we've been doing. So um, there's there's the VR. This is a VR game thing. Uh, but if we go to uh, consciousness, we hit on this a bit. Uh, when we talked on this topic in June. If AI would become sentient? Would it actually have that consciousness? Where does the machine end of the consciousness begin? So we can start to look at it through like the lens of uh, transhumanism. So basically that meshing of, you know, what it means to be human and of course, integrating 
uh, machine technology into ourselves. And you know, we already have a little bit, a little bit of that with, you know, pacemakers or, um, you know, somebody getting a, you know, prosthetic and our prosthetics are getting a lot more advanced and things like that. So, you know, there are things that we're putting into our bodies now to help with, you know, medical uh, things, but we're looking at taking that a bit further and, you know, implants and things like this. Um, they are not far off. They're talking like contact lenses that, okay, you have augmented reality on your phone. You know, just very basic Pokemon Go augmented reality. Um, you know, the uh, 19 crimes bottles where you can get the little app on your phone and, you know, kind of hover over it and the guy tells a story. It's augmented reality. Okay. Yeah, they're talking about contact lenses with that. So if you're constantly walking around with augmented reality. Um, I don't know if anybody here has seen the movie uh, Anon, which is on uh, Netflix. And basically, you know, they've enhanced their eyes where as they're walking around, um, there's ads that are popping up, but you're getting information too of, you know, this is this person. Um, and they show him, he goes up to a hot dog stand and it shows them the price of the hot dogs and they just automatically, you know, do the purchase, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of the area where they're going. So let's see, experts are saying the coming years will usher in a number of body augmentation capabilities that will enable humans to be smarter, stronger, and more capable than we are today. So uh, they are going down that route. So there's also, so we're talking consciousness. There's also the idea of uploading the human consciousness to a computer. And we saw this uh, a bit in the movie Transcendence with Johnny Depp. He was dying. He uh, put his consciousness into a computer. And his computer company still had all of his thoughts, ideas, and knowledge there blew up big. And so it, the movie kind of went back and forth of, okay, is his consciousness really there? Oh, maybe it's not. Oh, maybe it really isn't. Oh, maybe it's not, you know. Um, everything he knew was there. So you knew that for sure. But they are actually trying to do this. Um, so uh, researchers at the MIT Media Lab in Ryerson University in Toronto believe that by applying artificial intelligence to all the data we produce each day, we may be able to transfer our thoughts to a virtual, re a virtual entity that not only survives our physical demise, but continues to learn as new information is plugged in. So this guy here, uh, Dr. Hossein Ranama, says, my ultimate goal, he's, you know, the guy working on this, my ultimate goal is to bridge the gap between life and death by eternalizing our digital identity. In 30 or 40 years, we'll be able to ask questions of scientists or politicians who've passed away. So the idea, and he's worked with, with people to create this like digital identity where I'd sit down, ask loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of questions. They get all kinds of um, photos. They, they get into the social media and you get, okay, whatever videos, photos, you know, relationships, um, you know, important moments of life, all of this information, put it together. And, uh, and then they, you know, do scans of the person, all this to create like a 3D 
model of the person and basically create this replica of them that as you're asking the questions, it is supposed to give responses of really anything. So in the one example that uh, they had showed in where this thing was that I was watching, um, where I get introduced to this uh, this work, is um, you know the the lady's basically asking herself questions. They had the kids ask her questions, this sort of stuff, or ask the the AI questions, and she said, you know, that's exactly how I felt in those situations. I would have worded it a little differently than the way the AI worded it, but yeah, that was. You know, pretty much what I felt in in those moments, you know, based on the questions that were asked. So, if this is something that they're, you know, seriously looking at doing, is you know, creating a. See, the thing is, though, is that it's not really a consciousness, right? Um, it is a very, very good and complicated simulation of the person but it's not really conscious. It's just taking all the data that it has stored on that person. And we're, like we were talking earlier, based on the input, here is the response that I am going to give. And there's actually, I, I did show this last time, you know, Digital Deepak, who uh, Deepak, Deepak Chopra. So you can actually go and, you know, sign up for this and kind of the same thing. They've put together him um, and are, anything that you want to ask this program, the responses that come back are supposed to be just like he was responding to you based on, again, all this massive amounts of input that they've given the program to be able to make that happen. So again, it's not really him. He claims that, you know, he uploaded his consciousness. It's like, no, they just took a lot of information from you to create a profile that is very similar to you so that it can generate close to correct responses. And of course, they're taking this a step further. I see there's a bunch of comments uh, coming down into there, into the chat. I'll get to those in just a second. And I know this one's a little bit creepy, but... Um, this is human skin over a robot finger. What's fascinating about this human skin is that it does heal itself. So, you know, what they're wanting to do, of course, we were talking about it earlier. They do want to create very human-like robots. So can we make, you know, consciousness? Can we make this sentient? Can we make a very human-like consciousness out of this thing? And can it be even you know, more real, like we'll give it human skin that if it gets cut, it can heal itself. And they also are talking about putting into this, not just the fact that it can heal, but also that uh, it can feel pain. So that if that skin does get cut, it triggers a response into the robot to say, oh, I just got hurt. So that is getting very, very Westworld-ish. All right, we're getting down to the wire here, but I do want to uh, let me get your comments here. And there's one other thing that I do want to mention. So we're going to go a few minutes over. Uh, yeah, so Tom, can chatbots talk with other chatbots? Yeah, that's the Alice and Bob situation, which um, 
Alice and Bob were uh, two chat bots that, um, oh shoot, who was it? Was it Microsoft or Google? No, it was Facebook, two Facebook chat bots. And the, the rumor is that because they were talking with each other, they got it shut down, which is not what happened. So what it was is, you know, they were testing, you know, simulation, of um, some sort of bartering game where you had, you know, make trades, buy, sell, that sort of thing. And they had a couple of chatbots in there with human people. So the chatbots started throwing nonsensical stuff, at least seemingly nonsensical stuff into the chat. And the humans are like, okay, the chatbots are acting up, whatever. And they kept trying to do their, you know, their barters and their trades and, you know, their buying and selling, that sort of thing. And the chatbots were outperforming them. They're like, how in the world is the chatbots outperforming us when they're just throwing garbage into the chat? What it was is that the chatbots had figured out a code between each other. So like, you know, the uh, if they were talking about the number three, they could just throw three of the same word. Didn't doesn't matter what the word, it could be cat, dog, whatever. Three of the same word to the other chatbot, they knew that that meant three. So they came up with a little code between each other. So, um, so Facebook came along and said, oh, we need to change the rules, change the parameters so that chatbots are not able to do that. Um, and so they didn't shut it down. They just changed the rules of the game. But uh, it's kind of interesting that they were, that the two chatbots were smart enough to figure out a secret code between themselves so that the, so that the humans didn't know what they were up to. Yeah. Um, Sarah says, I think people fear unknown adapt the unknown adaptability. What would the computer do in your example if they had a number outside the data set? Mm -hmm. Um, Lori says, I think that's what happened at Apple. Or yeah, okay, you're talking about the chatbot thing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, this uh there was a movie Joaquin Phoenix called Her. Yeah, that was interesting. So we talked about that. Uh, last time in in June, when we covered uh, artificial intelligence, we, we talked about that particular movie where, um, you know, basically he fell in love with her. And she says that she fell in love with him, too. It was really kind of interesting. Um, you know, she was trying to, it was really interesting how she was trying to figure out how to be human. He was getting over his divorce. And because she was so lifelike, he started falling for her. It was really kind of interesting. Um, Sarah, would you put your consciousness into a computer? Um, that's well, and see, that's the thing. Is it really my consciousness? You know, like my, my soul body, I guess. Um, or is it just all the information that's in my head goes into a computer and you can go back and access that later. And, and that's the question that they're trying to, I think they're trying to answer there. So, okay, I know we're at our hour mark, but I do want to talk about one other aspect of all of this. And that is um, the idea of extraterrestrials that already have this type of technology. And you could say maybe they have visited us, possible, maybe not, but um, I believe they have. Do they have artificial intelligence running the show? or at least interacting with us. Is that how they first came here? That sort of thing. Um, you know, I would say that, yes, they probably 
are using some sort of artificial intelligence, you know, how else would they be getting across the cosmos? How else would be they, they be navigating? We could speculate a number of different things. You're using an Einstein and Rosen bridge, okay. Um, you know, how are their craft powered? You know, how does their propulsion system work? Is there AI built into there? Probably. We don't know exactly specifically what that would be. But if we're going to us, human beings, if we're going to another planet, what are we sending? Well, you know, we've gone to Mars with the with the Mars rover. Um, I like this representation. Yeah, there's there's Eve from from Wally. But you know, it's the idea of um you know, going back to Earth, scanning the planet, uh, Eve stood for extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator. Because basically what, you know, she was trying to do was, you know, see if there was life back on Earth to bring the humans, you know, back to Earth because they were off planet. Um, so that would be the type of thing that we would do. We would use AI. We would send, you know, some sort of probe or whatever to another planet to see what's going on there. Um, so... Okay, our, our our like Mars rover right now looks like, you know, a little dune buggy or whatever. Would we send ones that look more human-like? Possibly. You know, are ETs sending, you know, their AI in some sort of suit that looks, I don't want to say humanoid, but at least, you know, arms, legs, feet. You know, there are people that believe like the greys are some sort of, um, you know, biological, almost like a clone, but, or could be some biological robot sort of thing that, because they all basically look alike, right? Um, you know, they all kind of uh, have the, the same movements, the same, their same height. Uh, they don't really have any distinct features from the way people report them. So are they some sort of biological robot sort of thing? And then, of course, you have the um, the robots that uh, the extraterrestrial robots that visited us back in ancient times, like an ancient alien. So there's the Egyptian one, right? <laughs> but here's another thing that's that's happening right now. When we're talking, you know, do they have biological robots that they are sending here? How might that work coming across the cosmos? Because you know, again. Um, traveling, you know, hundreds or thousands of light years, you know, it, your body would have to last a long time, or you send something else that can last that long, which might be a robot. So we've been doing that here. And in 2021, this was published, um, or yeah, this particular headline, Teams, Team Builds First Living Robots That Can Reproduce. Now, they actually produced living robots back in 2020. Very small. You know, this is not on a large scale. Uh, these were assembled from frog cells back in 2020. A team of scientists from University of Vermont, Tufts, and Harvard. In 2021, uh, this headline was released that they are now actually reproducing. They call them xenobots. And if that might sound a little familiar, well, there's xenomorphs from the movie Alien, the Alien series. Yeah, uh, we don't want to create xenomorphs. So they've created xenobots. Um, and they basically, you know, programmed these frog cells. They're computer-designed, hand-assembled organisms. 
and they can swim out into their little dish, find single cells, gather hundreds of them together, and assemble baby cells. And I don't have the other, here it is. Let me bring this up. Once it uploads, then you'll get a chance to see what it looks like. And that's what that's what they look like, right? <laughs> they don't look, but, but they are. Uh, technically a, a robot. So they uh, they assemble other baby xenobots inside their, they call them Pac-Man-shaped mouth that days later become new xenobots that look and move just like themselves. So here's a close-up of one. So it's, uh, it's it does look like Pac-Man about to, you know, chomp down on a power pellet. And so this is what they said. We asked the supercomputer at UVM to figure out how to adjust the shape of the initial parents. And the AI came up with some strange designs after months of chugging away, including one that resembled Pac-Man. It's very not intuitive. It looks very simple. It's it looks very simple, but it's not something a human engineer would come up with. Why one tiny mouth? Why not five? Uh, we sent the res the results to this other developer, and he built these Pac-Man-shaped parent xenobots. Then those parents built children, who built grandchildren, who built great grandchildren and so on. So, yeah, these are very little, tiny, living robots made out of frog cells that are reproducing each other. The idea, and we're going to see this on a little bit of a bigger scale in just a second, the idea is, yes, they want self-replicating robots. This is for space exploration, space travel. Um, and we're going to take a look at the voxels here. These are developed by MIT. They have a built-in intelligence, allows them to build structures, vehicles, or even larger versions of themselves. The voxels make up both the robot itself as well as the components of the thing being built, allowing them to work together on larger structures. And what the guys at MIT say is it could build a structure or it could build another robot of the same size or it could build a bigger robot. So where they want to put this into practice is as we move out into the solar system and, you know, we are going to end up, you know, colonizing other planets, other moons. We're going to do stuff out in the asteroid belt. Uh, we're going to mine asteroids and things like that. But the idea of like all the payload that we would have to keep sending up, keep sending up, keep sending up. Uh, would be massive to have to do that on a regular basis. So the idea is send some of these robots up to an asteroid, ones that you know, know how to mine, but also know how to replicate so that as they get up there, they mine the ore, they're able to manipulate it, start building other robots with it, and then they're able to, you know, mine more, build more, and spread out like that so that they don't have to keep sending stuff up from Earth. And so it becomes its own you know, sustained little colony there. <laughs> Reminds me of the expanse with the colonies out there on uh, the, bel the belters, yeah. Um, but that's kind of the idea so that uh, we can actually use resources that are out there in space already and let the robots reproduce themselves so that you know it, it takes um i mean can you imagine uh you know 
you, you maxed out with your couple of uh, robots that you had up there on the asteroid. Now you're going to send uh, a couple of humans up there to go, you know, make some more. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Or what if one of them breaks down? Um, you know, one of the things that they want to do is have, you know, one robot be able to fix the other. So again, you don't have to like send humans to go do it. Um, you know, and eventually the idea would be, uh, as we're colonizing, have the robots go up there, build the colony first, and then we could go to it. And so, um, yeah, you're not going to send like a thousand robots all in one shot. You don't have the capacity to do that, but you can send a few and have them create more once they get out there. So, all right, I know we went over. Uh, let me see if you got any last comments, questions. Um, let's see, Tom, we all have Google things on the internet, yet Facebook knows and starts showing us the things we search for. Yes, that is AI right there. Absolutely. Which is why I use incognito mode a lot because there's there are things that's like, I want to search this out. It's just a one-time inquiry, but I don't want, you know, my, my browser, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, to start showing me ads and promotions and, or whatever for this one thing. It's, yeah. So I will go incognito a lot for stuff like that. Um, Let's see, uh, where is Ghosty chasing them to destroy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all Ghosty's fault. All right, and Sarah creates more competition for resources. Yeah, yeah, then it becomes, you know, who whoever creates the, um, yeah, there'll be a competition for resources out there within the asteroid belt on other moons and planets and things like that. And really it's going to come down to, who builds the you know better, uh, better working, better better working, better reproducing, rep replicating all that uh, machines? And then again, it's that's all it's all taking AI. So uh, you know, hopefully, when those uh, machines build the colony and the humans go there, they don't turn on the humans, right? So. All right, everybody, that will do it for this evening. Really appreciate uh, you hanging out to talk about AI and how dangerous it is. <laughs> for those listening to the podcast version of this later, please join us every Wednesday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Join in on the discussion. Ask your questions in the chat. Watch the full slide presentation. And uh, we didn't do any video clips this time. But, um, but yeah, if you want to see those... Uh, uh, those, those little xenobots that look like Pac-Man. You know, come on out here to uh, to the class on Wednesday nights. Of course, this will be uploaded to the back end of the Connected Universe portal here within the next couple of days. So, all right, everybody, that will do it. Until next time, time really exists. <laughs>